0: What are the 12 commandments of flight nursing, and what causes such amazing individuals to choose such a high-stress yet satisfying career path? Let's talk all about it with author and flight nurse extraordinaire Robert P. Harris, right here on episode 245 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I am so glad you're here, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out here on the virtual airways for months or possibly even years so thank you for being part of the growing nurse keith nation no matter when you started tuning in and how you connected with us here this podcast is all about you and your nursing and healthcare career and i'm here to share education ideas diatribes and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare medicine nursing and beyond And did you know you can leave a rating and review for The Nurse Keith Show? That's right. Head over to iTunes and Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Whatever rating you care to give, stars one through five, write a review. And if you let me know you did so, I will mention your name on air and read your review for all to hear. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode... You can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 245. Anyway, we are here with Robert P. Harris. He is a flight nurse, and he is going to share so much with us about flight nursing. Robert, what is it about being a flight nurse that just lights your fire?
1: Well, good morning, Keith. It's wonderful to be on your your famous podcast it's, it's I've been, been a big fan and and, and so many of your Thank you. uh, guests are so prestigious it's it's really an honor to be here uh, but to answer your question I, quite frankly uh, my father was a career flight paramedic and I always wanted to be him he was just always the coolest dude in the room everybody wanted to know what Kirk Harris had to say everybody you know there was a problem you know, Kirk Harris would save the day, and I just grew up with that mentality of man. There's these people out there that just have this almost electric ability to uh, be people's. You know, I don't want to say savior, but those people that show up when you're having your worst day. So I always wanted to do that, Absolutely. and uh, I joined the the military, and and fell, as a corpsman, fell in love with medicine there, and and decided to stick with that, and. Knowing that the goal was flight nursing, uh, because you're the first person there quite often, and you have to be with these patients from incident to quite often surgery, and in between, it's you, the firefighters, and the EMS personnel that make the difference in saving lives.
0: Right, and... Is it the, you know, I know some people like to be in critical care and ER and flight nursing because there's some adrenaline involved there. So is part of it that like the excitement of working with people who are in that kind of extreme situation or helicoptering into a, you know, mountaintop to save somebody is the adrenaline part of the attraction for you and other people who do this kind of work as nurses?
1: You know, Keith, it certainly is. However, that's not going to maintain a career. If you're in it for the adrenaline, burnouts on your horizon, because quite frankly, in order to get to this situation, uh, the amount of training is pretty intense and the, and the level of education you got to bring yourself up to is, it's not something you can do overnight. So if you want adrenaline, I recommend going skydiving, uh, cause that'll get it. Okay. You'll get that a lot faster. <laughs> this is definitely a lifestyle. And, and not everything is blood and guts. It's quite often people, everybody assumes it's, oh, car crashes and body parts all over the place and bullet holes. And there is a lot of that, but quite often it's just getting, you know, grandma or grandpa from, you know, the middle of a rural trailer park, having a STEMI at 4am to the closest cardiac center. You know, quite often there's a lot of medical cases. Uh, and and interfacility transport. Somebody needs a surgery here. We got to get them across the state to surgery there. So not everything is blood and guts, but there's definitely a lot of that. You won't be disappointed if that's the part you're looking for as well.
0: <laughs> right. I guess an interesting metaphor would be like people who watch like crime stuff on TV, and then when they go into forensics, they're like, "Wow, this is definitely not as sexy as it looks on Miami CSI."
1: Absolutely. There's a lot of well, you know, I say in the book, you know, people are like, when you set up for your base, you're when you first show up and you're you're so green and you're looking for, you know, expecting everything to be riveting. You might be on a forty-eight hour shift. Now, granted, you might be flying noon till dusk or uh, you know dawn to dusk, but you also might be sitting there for thirty-six hours, bored out of your skull, and then boom, you'll have one of the craziest calls of your life that require you to perform these flawless, advanced algorithms under pressure. Or and or at 2 a.m. 3 oh a.m. and unfortunately adrenaline is a great waker upper. But I, I funny quick anecdote. I I was wanted to make sure I was at my best my first you know year or two flying and and so I would take some caffeine pills in the middle of the night. And one of my partners told me afterwards, "What are you taking?" I said, "Oh, it's caffeine gum." He was like, "You don't need it." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, I right. guess that's uh, sort of redundant there." Okay, so I had to quit the caffeine gum so my partners didn't want to strangle me. <laughs>
0: Probably a good idea. Yeah. And then you'd be like talking nonstop for the next couple (laughs) hours while they're, they're like, I wish he would be quiet. Never. Yeah. So no, you never. So I've interviewed a few flight nurses for like interviews I've done in on a couple websites. So written interviews. And one of the things, one of them once told me was that, you know, when you're, when you have a shift and this was her experience, so yours might be somewhat different, but she worked in Southern Cal too. She said, you know, you show up at the base and you're going to be there for the next whatever, 72 hours. And, you know, there's a kitchen and you got a place to sleep. And she said, you know, she'd go out for runs and she'd work out. And sometimes, like you said, she'd be there for hours and hours and hours waiting for something to happen. And she she told me that you have to be able to entertain yourself. And also, she said, everyone has duties at the base. So your duties aren't just going out and saving people i mean you probably have to like cook a meal or clean or go through equipment like what happens while you're sitting around at the base waiting for a call
1: well, that's an excellent question and quite frankly it's all of the above at least the second you get in there uh, you might be inheriting a, a bird and a set of equipment that has been thrashed over the previous shift with back to back to back calls and quite frankly uh, you might just they're the offgoing shift might be trying to chart or they're trying to, you know, tie up loose ends and you got to go through all that equipment. So when you set up at the base, uh, some people set up their bedroom first, you know, so they're ready for their nap. But I don't even get into my, say if I show up at a 6am or 11 a.m. or 7am shift, I don't even make it into the bedroom until 11 or 12 because we're going through bags. We're going through the helicopter checks, making sure the O2 tanks are full. We go through, thousands of uh, pieces of equipment, making sure everything is present. And, uh, and I like to tell people when you get settled in, at a base, especially if it's a first base, don't. And yeah. then the actually mentioned in the book, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Don't get settled in at your base. You are one big mistake away from being terminated, litigated, killed in an accident or some combination of the three. So you should be terrified <laughs> in a healthy way, of course. But you know, you need to be, if you're not, actively going through your equipment and preparing for the day, you need to be helping other people do that, or you need to be studying because there's a lot of medicine to know, man. I'm telling you, it's so overwhelming. Mm. Right. So
0: when you go out on a flight, like say you're doing a fixed wing flight or a rotor, you know, a helicopter. um, And I know you mentioned in the book, at least once that I saw never walk into the rotor of a helicopter, not man,
1: it's so, it sounds very obvious, but uh, I, I have yes. nearly pulled – I have pulled uh, a family member that was a ride-along who we lost sight of, went around the side of the bird. I literally had to grab this, this sweet lady by the uh, back of her coat and yank her backwards because she was about 18 inches away from the tail rotor, And that was on me because I told her not to move. But she got excited and she moved, and I didn't. I lost her for a second. I was like, "Oh man!" So I went diving through one side of the helicopter, through the other to grab her. And then just uh, last year, uh, we we lost a a, a great, um, a great, great man. He it was a Marine Corps officer. Uh, no names or anything like that. But he um, uh, he he passed away on Camp Pendleton last year. A veteran, uh, decorated crew member, walked into a tail rotor at night, uh, uh, and. Uh, and that, I mean, this, these, these things happen. I mean, uh, it's
0: tragic.
1: Yeah. There's a, so my, the advice is unless you've been trained on precisely where to go on the helicopter, because there are some rear loading helicopters, stay at the front Mm -hmm. and always make sure the pilot can see you because communication back and forth. But yeah, that's something I threw in there. Uh, not to continue plugging my book, although I will shamelessly plug, the go Flight Nurse Bible, a field guide to awesomeness available on Amazon.com and links from the fantastic Nurse Keith show. But, uh, but I, I was curious if you wouldn't mind if I, I got a, a section in the beginning called uh, the 12 Flight Nurse Commandments. Would you mind if I read off a few of those, Keith?
0: Please, I've been waiting on the edge of my seat for you to read oh, those I honestly. Appreciate
1: that. All right, so there's 12 of them. We'll go through it. All right, the 12 Flight Nurse Commandments. Number one, be nice. Number two, Be situationally aware and prepared for anything. Number three, you are only as good as your last flight. Number four, don't get tunnel vision. Stop severe bleeding. Needle decompress both sides of that chest and secure the airway. Number five, take a deep breath. Calm your voice, tone, and speed. If you calm your tone, the speed will drop as well, and the whole room will get calmer. Number six, Mm. be a master of machines, and know your pharmacy. Basically, be able to handle your stuff. Uh, number seven, I throw this in there, cap, capnography is unimpeachable. Uh, if you got a capnograph, you know, quite often, anytime you've got an intubated patient, you get that capnography or entitled CO2 waveform at the end, because you can't fake that. You know, people will be like, oh, because everything is the transport crew's fault. So, you know, if that airway gets pulled out, they're gonna be like, oh, they brought it, brought it to us without an airway. Uh no I didn't because I got this entitled waveform when we disconnected. So there you go. It's unimpeachable. Uh-huh. Uh number eight, everything is your fault. So document well. Because you're the easiest person to blame. Uh should that be the thing. Because between point A and point B, you uh were in charge of a lot of things. Anyway, number nine, know when to gather your equipment and walk away slowly and quietly. And and that's it's sort of a somber one, but there will be times where you show up and and you're not going to be able to transport due to instability, and you're going to do some public relations, life-saving measures, and and it's going to be called in the field. And there's there's moments where you it's awkward, and you just need to know, okay, you know, we need to get out of here. Number ten, most important thing, my father taught me this. Uh, the most important piece of advice would be reassess, reassess, reassess. Number 11, do not walk into tail rotors, Nurse Keith. Just don't do it. And number 12, be nice.
0: Mm. Wow, be nice shows up twice. I assume it's fairly important then.
1: I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You can change the entire mood of a room by just being nice.
0: Right. And I assume when you go out on a on fixed-wing or rotor, which is where I was trying to go a few minutes ago, and I completely forgot, so I'm going back. Um, How many people are you with on your crew? Like, who's with you when you're up in the air, like on your way to do something?
1: Fantastic question. Uh, Typically, your average EMS response crew, because there are programs that have uh, larger helicopters, and they have uh, rescue capabilities, and they'll have uh, hoist Rescue techniques and, and pick off you know, rope techniques and stuff like that. Uh, but most of the time, an EMS helicopter setup, you of course have your helicopter pilot, and then you have either a paramedic and a nurse or a nurse and a nurse. And that trip really just sort of uh, depends on staffing. Uh, you- paramedics are, are super, super valuable. Uh, Especially if you have new nurses, because paramedics typically have a lot more innovation experience. Uh, but once you've been a nurse, a flight nurse for a while at, at those higher levels, uh, the the roles are very interchangeable.
0: Uh, I see. So it's either a paramedic and a nurse or a nurse and a nurse plus the pilot.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm.
0: So you've got three people. And does the pilot also have medical training or is the pilot a pilot?
1: Uh The pilot may or may not in the civilian world have some sort of medical training, but they are in an absolute uh, pilot capacity while we are, are going. In fact, we we are encouraged there. There's a, a, not to bring up a, a bummer of an anecdote, but whenever you go to these flight boot camps, they tell you lots and lots of horror stories and, you know, stories learned in blood mm. and there's been occasions where pilots have ignored safety regulations because of, uh, that you know, I have a child that age of the age we, you know, patient, we're picking up mm-hmm. something to that effect and they'll ignore a, a, a hot, like a warning light on startup. Oh, something is you know overheating or oh, maybe, you know, we need to check this. And, and the playbook says we shut that helicopter down regardless because Of safety right and there's been occasions where that has been ignored and then seconds after takeoff the patient the entire crew including the pilot have gone right into the cornfield and you know everybody's been killed so they we're encouraged to we'll tell them what they need to know Um, and if we need a spare set of hands they're more than willing to help if they're physically able but generally speaking we try to isolate them uh, from the drama in the back best as possible so they can focus on getting getting us there alive
0: Sounds like a really prudent idea. Now, you've got you've got these three people going out there doing this intense stuff, <laughs> saving lives, or sometimes doing more tedious pedestrian tasks. So you were explaining to me before we hit record that one of those pedestrian tasks is repatriation. You're basically taking a patient from one place and bringing them back to their country of origin. So can you explain what a flight like that might be like? And is that sort of, I'm assuming that's a less stressful environment. So you're just kind of doing transport and does that happen a lot?
1: Yes, that's, well, it happens both in the rotor helicopter world and fixed wing, you know, Learjet world. Uh, it, it could be something as small as a, uh, not as small, but, but something as minor as a regional transfer as in, you know, oh, you're in San Diego and you need a heart transplant. Well, a donor just popped up in Denver and okay, well, let's get you to Denver. And so we'll right. go pick you up and we'll, you know, put on the ventilator, put on all the trips, any other fancy equipment we need, and we'll take you region to region. Uh, there, I've also uh, done interfacility transports by helicopter within States, you know, as long as you have the money, helicopters capable because they needed a certain resource that was like, a lot of people live hundreds of miles from anything and True. sometimes we'll be called out and like I said we'll take strokes and uh, or, or maybe they'll be taken from like the local fire department to the local ER which we jokingly sometimes call a doc in a box because they don't have a lot of resources mm-hmm. and they'll call us and sometimes we'll walk in especially for babies sick babies and the doctor uh, might be overwhelmed, no, no disrespect to doctors, but you know, sometimes you just, you're in over your head and we provide airway guru stuff and we'll, mm-hmm. so we'll show up and, and we'll protect that kid's airway and take them to a regional pediatric facility. Or like we were discussing earlier, uh, where I was, I was discussed, mentioned in the book, you know, sometimes you'll go, uh, my company, uh, one of, the, one of the companies I work for just went to England and took a patient to Shanghai uh, with, with a group of, uh, there was actually four or five providers on board, and there was all sorts of uh, extensive medical equipment, quite simply because uh, he, had been, he, he was a uh, Chinese national, and they wanted, uh, he was stable for transport, and they wanted to get him back in, into the system, closer to his family and all that. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, so, and that can happen anywhere. I, per- personally, I, I've done a fair amount of repatriations from Mexico up to Canada, uh, which I can tell you is because is uh, there's a lot of uh, lovely Canadian people who spend their summers in Mexico or their winters, Canadian winters in Mexico because, you know, it's awesome down there. And,
0: right. Can you blame them?
1: <laughs> uh, I can't blame them at all. It, it's can, The Arctic Circle is is a, is a really crazy place. Uh, bless those people. But uh, we'll go pick up somebody at, down in Baja at a balmy, lovely 80 degrees with palm trees, and we'll go take them up to the Arctic Circle where it's negative 80 uh, with the wind chill, negative 60, and you're like, man, I mean, we're talking 120, 140 degree temperature difference between pickup and drop off. It, it's wow. sometimes pretty insane. Uh, so you've
0: got like, you've got a bathing suit and a tank top, and then you've got a parka and, you know.
1: <laughs> abs- absolutely, yeah. There, but there, you, you do bring up a good point, though, about the different types of flight nursing. Most of my experience is helicopter nursing which is, you know, more short trips and, and yeah, a a bit more blood and guts. But when you're on the Learjet or you're in a fixed wing, you're more of a transport ICU nurse than you are more of like a trauma nurse Uh, because you're with these patients for quite extended periods of time. And you just don't know what's going to happen and quite, you know, and and it's not like you can, you can land a helicopter anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can land a Learjet anywhere. So if something really bad happens, you're, you're kind of hosed. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a definitely a a different element of stress uh, for both those particular roles.
0: Yeah, I can can only imagine. And um, we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, I want to dig a little bit more into your history and your career path. And then I want to talk about Your advice for, one, non-nurses who want to become nurses, which was your career path, and also what the path is to do what it is that you do now. So when we come back, we're going to dig all back into that stuff. So thanks for hanging out here at the Nurse Keith Show, episode 245, and we will be back for the second half. Momentito. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support the show, you also get some pretty nifty premiums and gifts Directly from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash nursekeith to read all about it. That's P A T R E O N.com forward slash nursekeith. Also, please consider signing up for my newsletter at nursekeith.com so that you can receive my bi weekly message just for you. Finally, if someone you know could benefit from career coaching with me, please. Consider referring them, and if they become a paying client, even if they do one session, you'll receive credit for one hour of coaching with me, and there's no expiration date on that credit, and you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. Remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits over time. What? a deal those are my sincere asks of you dear listener so now let's dig back into today's topic And thanks for hanging out here on the Nurse Keith Show, episode 245. Remember, if you want to read those 12 commandments of flight nursing, which actually might be helpful to you, even if you're not a flight nurse, head over to nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 245. You can read his bio. You can also see some photos and some helpful resources that you might want to check out. So Robert, we were talking about some of the things that you do as a flight nurse, fixed wing and rotor and otherwise and you read us the 12 commandments. Now you talked about your dad, he was a legendary paramedic and an educator extraordinaire as you say <laughs> and you started as a EMS explorer at the age of 16. Is that like a kind of an internship you did during high school?
1: It is. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's funny. I, there's a lot of hierarchy and in, in nursing that cringe when I tell my life story because it's kind of amusing. Uh, I'll just give it to you quick and fast, Keith. Okay, down uh, dirty. I, I started uh, at 16 doing EMS ride alongs and, and, and loved that. And had a, this is back in East Tennessee. In case y'all can't pick up my country accent. That's where <laughs> I'm from originally. And I uh, just fell in love with EMS there, and then 9-11 happened, and uh, quite frankly, uh, I dropped out of high school. I took my GED, and I, joined, I had to get some college credits to join the Navy, but I joined the Navy to be a corpsman, and I did five years as, as, a, as a greenside uh, platoon corpsman, and most of that was with the 1st Marine Division. And while I was in that process, you know, over those years, I learned that they let corpsmen, uh, which is you know, medics uh, for the Navy, that's what they sure. call them, and they let us challenge for the LVN exam. Like the, it's a full-on like year, eighteen-month program in most places. You know, for the licensed vocational nurse, licensed practical nurse in some states is what it's called. They let corpsmen straight up challenge for that. So I, I heard about that and lost my mind. I'm like, wow, what a great opportunity! And I studied and studied and, and challenged it and passed it. And so when I was preparing to leave the Navy, because I, I kind of, nursing was definitely on the docket. And having that LVN when I left the Navy, well, first of all, it, it set me up to not get paid 10 bucks an hour as an EMT. No offense to EMTs, uh, but it set me up to get some pretty decent money uh, while I then bridged to a nursing program. And that accelerated that and I I can't tell enough you're if you're a corpsman and you're listening take advantage of that LVN challenge option it's it's a lifesaver
0: that sounds great I mean you're really doing an end run around everything you'd have to do to become an LVN and you skip an 18 month per 12 to 18 month program and then you did a bridge to become you got your ADN and then after your ADN it sounds like from what I read You worked in ERs, ICUs, you ran critical care transport, ambulance calls, and you got lots and lots of certifications while you were working on your BSN, which you then earned as well. So what are the certifications that a nurse out there might want to get before he or she even thinks about applying to be a flight nurse?
1: Oh, Keith, you set me up so well. This is exactly what I love talking about, man. My my pulse just jumped 30 points. I love this stuff. Okay. Go for it. So the second you hit NCLEX and you pass NCLEX, you got three calendar years before any serious accredited flight organization is going to be able to accept your resume, Uh, at least by the playbook. You got three calendar years. So start the clock. Something that I need to point out to people here, and this is where some of the older, more old school ER nurses like to give me death looks, is the Board of Certification for Emergency Nursing. Uh, they have the CEN, the CPEN, that's the Certified Emergency Nurse, Certified Pediatric Emergency Nurse, the TCRN, which is the Trauma Certified Nurse. Then they have the CFRN, the Certified Flight Nurse, and then the CTRN, which is a uh, Certified Transport Nurse. That's more like ground-oriented. Those are five certifications that are offered by the BCEN. Wow. And your goal should be to have as many of those under your belt by the time you hit the three-year mark. Now, I know what immediately a lot of your listeners are thinking next is, well, it says on the website that you need to have two to three years' experience to take these exams. Uh, That's a recommendation because it's a hard test, and they want to be able to say every way possible if you fail these, that, hey, we warned you, you, you know, you might not be ready. You need that ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I had my CEN within 90 days of passing NCLEX. True story.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Now granted, I've been in the field for 10 years, but...
0: That might surprise a lot of people who are listening right now.
1: And it's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable. I wouldn't be surprised if I have an email from the BCN by the end of the day being like, what did you just say? (laughs) Because they don't necessarily... Because the hierarchy is... There's a lot of great, great ER nurses that have been doing this for years that have never bothered to get certified. So then if people take my advice, you're going to have this new breed of, of young pup coming in with all these certs and uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. You're setting yourself up as a fodder for haters. Absolutely. But yeah, forget that. Forget that silliness. Let them be haters. You can show up with the best resume in the room and you're at least getting invited to the job interview. Right. And so, and so that was my approach. So I spent three years getting certifications and I, I got the bachelor's degree and three years I was ready. And sure enough, I, I, I was eligible and like, I think I was eligible in September. I got interviewed and hired in October and I was flying in November.
0: Amazing. So it just Amazing. happened. Yeah. So when I look at your name here on the paper that I printed out, it says Robert P. Harris, R.N., B.S.N., C.F.R.N., C.T.R.N., T.C.R.N., C.E.N., C.P.E.N., C.N.P.T., C.C.R.N. <laughs> so you, you've got just a couple things under your belt. So you bring you bring at least something to the table, you know.
1: <laughs> Overkill is underrated. I, I can't just uh, I I would have put that as one of my commandments, but the A team already stole that one.
0: Can I? I'll quote you on that, even though you stole it from somewhere else.
1: It was the A team movie a team
0: (laughs) wasn't that mr t or something
1: that's right yeah yeah they did a great remake a couple years back where it's like overkill is underrated
0: overkill Um, is underrated okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna write that on a piece of paper and stick it over my desk here so i can see that all the time
1: (laughs) yeah well i mean occasionally i'm accused of being braggadocious and Mm -hmm. you're darn right i am i why you know i don't have time for humility uh i'm here to let you know that I can do the best job I can possibly do. And I'm not just saying that I'm willing to take exams. I'm willing to prove it. I'm willing to put it behind my name so that, you know, I, I want it to be that so when people see my resume, they just want to have me invited to the resume just so they could see if I'm for real. Right. Yeah, I just, I just want them to be like, this guy is insane. Look Who is bring this him guy? Yeah. Right. yeah. I'm not saying I going to get me the job. If you're a cocky jerk, you're not getting that job. So I uh, trust me. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the nurse Keith show. So, you know, I'm trying to act all cool and stuff here. Don't get me wrong. I'm a puppy dog in an interview because I'm trying not to make it look like I'm a, a crazy person, but, uh, right. But here I'm plugging certifications, just go get them and, well, and pe- go ahead. I'm sorry. Keith.
0: No, good. I think it's great. You're plugging certifications and do, what else would you recommend? What's another piece of advice or tip, a hot tip from Rob Harris?
1: Well, the first thing is, and I discussed this in, in the first few chapters of the flight nurse Bible, uh, and basically if, if the first 10 or 15 minutes I spend with anybody who want to ask questions about a flight nurse, I address most of those in the first few chapters of the book. Uh, available at fine bookstores everywhere. No, that, That's a Christopher Hitchens quote. It's on Amazon. It's easy. It's very easy to find yeah. uh, should, should you want to read that. And, of course, the links are on Nurse Keith's site. That's but, but one of my big things is certification exams are not a team sport. Now, if you want to study with a group, if you want to have a buddy that you study with, that's fine. But it's going to psych you out. If I tell people, don't let anyone know when you're going to take these exams because the pressure, if you fail, you're going to look silly. You're going to feel silly. So just don't tell people Just be like, oh, I'm studying, I'm studying and then have your date scheduled and then go take it. And if you pass, show up with a CEN badge and be like, oh, guess what? And if you fail, you don't, you're not obligated to tell people that you failed. Just say, you know, I'm going to take some more time studying. I don't feel ready. And that takes the psychological pressure off because when Mm. you sit there for a three-hour exam in front of that computer after going through security and you know the metal detectors and all the stuff you got to do nowadays for these board certification exams you're by yourself so don't go with a friend go by yourself because if your friend fails and you pass you can't be happy and if you fail and your friend passes they can't be happy so just it is a it's an individual sport that's what i like to tell people and second. I know this next part might be financially stressful, especially for people with, you know, spouses and kids and, you know, real life and all that kind of stuff. But if you're terrified about an exam, go take it. Just, I mean, study for a brief week or two and just go take the darn thing. And maybe you'll pass it. Maybe you won't. But you'll know what you're up against. So you're not psyching yourself out. And then the most scary part is already done. I call it killing the cert exam dragon. You know, you've already seen the dragon.
0: That's a really good piece of advice. That's awesome.
1: Just go take it. It's just a test. There's not a gun to your head. And then you know what's up. And then you go back out to your car and you write down 200 things that frustrated you or things you like, man, they really got me on that one. I don't know what the heck that was even about. And then you write it down and then you study and you do better and you're going to go back and nail it the next time. And it takes all the psychology out of it. So those are my two big tips on that.
0: Perfect, man. That is really, really great. Now, moving on to other tips, what about non-nurses who want to become nurses? That was you in high school, and that was you when you were in the Navy. Nursing was, like you said, it was on the docket. Do you have a couple pieces of golden Robert P. Harris advice for people who are thinking about becoming nurses?
1: Absolutely, I do, Nurse Keith. And not only do I have advice, I have advice that's going to make people angry, which is the best kind of advice. So yes. um, I always joke, if I ever get invited to lecture at uh, high schools or colleges, I'll be invited once and escorted out by security because they're not going to like what I say. Um, that's a joke. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a... Well, I mean, I dropped out of high school intentionally. I emancipated, got my GED, all that kind of stuff. And then I... Uh, I mean, I I like to joke, you know, like the Forrest Gump quote, you know, after five years of playing football, I got myself a college degree. Well, I I got my bachelor's degree later on in life when I was 30. And so I you know, after 12 years of medicine, I got myself a college degree. Um, -hmm. you know, it was, I'm not a, a huge, huge advocate for turning yourself into an indentured servant with student loans. However, uh, with something as big as nursing, it's a massive light at the end of a relatively short tunnel. And what I mean by that is get into an associate program for nursing. And unless you have a bachelor's already, or, you know, you didn't know what you wanted. Now you're 22, 23 frustrated with a kinesthesiology degree. That's worthless. Sorry, people, but a lot of you have them and, you know, you're kind of hosed. Well, maybe there's a BS to BSN program that might be, but you know, let's talk about people like me. They got out, they didn't have any college yet and, or I got out of the Navy, uh, I was an LBN, didn't have any college yet or, or get an associate degree program. And just, if you have to take the loans, take the loans. A lot of, it's going to be 60, 70 grand for one of those factory nursing schools where you just pay the money and you go in and, you, you know, as opposed to like a point system, like, Oh, I volunteered here, volunteered there. Oh, you have X amount of points. You can start next amount. No, go in somewhere, take the loans and start. Because if you run the amount of money on what you're you know missing is six, six years, Six-figure income potential as an RN versus the amount you're paying for school. Every day, I I say in the book, if you've decided to become an RN, every day you're not an RN, you're losing money. Every day. So get Mm. that RN. I don't care if you're never going to get a job with an associate's degree because we live in the magnet hospital era. Screw that. Get the associates. Start the clock on the career. You're going to be a new grad for a year anyway, and then go into a BSN program once you've NCLEXed. That's what I do.
0: You know, Rob, I actually agree with you wholeheartedly. I think most, or not most, a lot of ADN programs are excellent, and you get a lot of clinical time, often more clinical time than you're going to get in a – second bachelor's program, accelerated bachelor's. So I'm a big fan. I went to community college in Greenfield, Mass. I got my ADN at 32. So I had a high school diploma till I was 32 years old and the father of a small child. So wow, I totally get that. And I think going ADN, then BSN, then moving on, that's the way I wanted to go. And I... Believe working through that hierarchy can be very helpful on many levels and you're right getting out in the workforce as quickly as possible i've recommended certain people get an lvn or lpn and just get out there working like get your resume moving get it populated with some jobs and some experience and skills and knowledge and then move on so you're giving some excellent advice here and i'm backing you up on it
1: well that that means uh the world to me uh nurse keith it it, it sure does (laughs) and also if you're on the fence about becoming a paramedic uh, it depends where you live i I realize i just sort of jumped ship you know this is a nursing podcast but so many of our 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 fellow co-workers are or and and future nurses are going to be paramedics or are currently paramedics and they unfortunately have to go through the same exact program they're not given any benefit from their paramedic experience. So if you're not like hardcore, Oh, I want to be a fire paramedic uh, you know, and that's not, you're not just not living and breathing and eating fire and doing push ups and CrossFit and all that crazy people, awesome stuff that they, these, these firefighters, you know, the men and women are doing uh, and you're on the fence, just go to nursing school because if you go to paramedic school and you end up not being able to make a good living, you're going to nursing school eventually. Whereas if you go to nursing school and you want to become a paramedic just to have some fun and, and rock life and get out in the field every now and then and uh if that's the background you, you want to be out there you can do that too it's way easier there's tra- lots of challenge programs I, I i make people mad when i say this but uh and i haven't gone to this yet so i don't mean to plug them but uh, there's a university in nebraska uh that runs a 14-day rn to paramedic program out, uh, out of omaha and paramedics Want it like they look at me like they want to kill me when I say that out loud, but I'm not the one who made the program, you know. I know they're upset about that. But whereas, if those paramedics want to become nurses, uh, they got to go to nursing school, there's no shortcuts for that. So, if you're on the fence about, oh, I don't know what I want to do, and you just want an extra free year of rent while well, you go to paramedic school and figure out your life so your dad or mom don't kick you out, then uh, just go to nursing school because you can become a paramedic easily later. Sorry, paramedics, I know you don't like to hear it, but you'll get over it.
0: Well, well, I'll forward the hate mail to you, Rob. Um, now, as we wind down, what do you like to do for fun? And especially like after you've worked 72 hours straight, what do you do to help yourself, you know, feel like a human again? And how do you maintain your mental health doing this really intense work or that work that is often intense, let's say? How do you take care of Mr. Rob?
1: Well, there's a variety of things. The first and foremost is, uh, you know, Miss Jenny, my, my partner, is uh, she is uh, also a flight nurse and also just a, a career medical guru expert. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's so important, I feel, to, to be in love with someone who cares about the same stuff you do. Uh, and, and no offense to people who, you know, are, are married to bank tellers or, or whatever, you know, I, I'm sure that's fun dinner conversation, but like, it's important <laughs> to be able to decompress with someone who has your same passion. And so quite frankly, I just, I just, I'm with an amazing woman who, who I get to, go through everything that's bothering me with and and who's there to listen and, and guide me. And the second most important thing is is bourbon. Uh clearly, obviously. I mean, you know, you got Absolutely, uh, without yeah. a doubt. <laughs> but no, I also I also I train uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu out here in uh Southern California. Yeah, I'm one of those guys. Come out here and uh train with us and get choked if you want. be it's, it's a good time. And uh and also I skydive, Uh that, yeah, that's what I've been doing right. for a real long time and and uh that that really helps everything gets the when you're about to jump out of an airplane everything in your life has the volume turned down on it you know what i mean interesting to clear your head. and you
0: just don't spend enough time in the air so you just have to get up there again yeah
1: yeah on the weekend that's right. right that's right all
0: right that's very cool so you've got some great things you do for fun sounds like you love that adrenaline you love being out in the world doing cool things you have somebody you love who shares your passion so that sounds like a lot that contributes to your mental health or maintaining your mental health.
1: Absolutely, it's it's it's, yeah. it's got to be multifactorial. You know, if you're just if you're just living in the bottle, that ain't gonna do it. And if you're if you're nah. just coming home to someone you got no nothing to talk about with, that ain't gonna do it. And uh, now you're a father, and I'm I'm not a father, so I, I don't have that outlet. To, you know, of, mm-hmm. of 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 joy with children. You know, like I'm sure. You know, your your child gives you all the meaning on earth.
0: Uh, he does. He's thirty six and awesome, as is his, my daughter in law. So yes, oh, brings oh, me a lot oh, of that's joy.
1: That's wonderful. Yeah. But in absence of, of absence of that, uh, I study a lot. You know, the the good thing about being in medicine, nurse Keith, is that the more you learn, the dumber you realize you are. And it's just mm. it's such an intimidating field. I always feel like I also. It's important that I mention this, just because you have a bunch of certs doesn't mean that you can do the darn job. There's a lot of great genius bookworms out there that can't tie their shoes properly. Uh, you got to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. So the, one of the hardest parts about having all these certifications is being worthy of them. So I'm always studying. You just got to be studying. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is. Put Get off your Facebook, unless you're looking at Nurse Keith's website, and, uh, you know, <laughs> Put the Instagram down for a while, and if you're, and put down you know Us Weekly or any of those other publications. I hope I didn't just get you sued. Sorry, I get Nurse Keith. You. Uh, right. you know, put down whatever you're reading, and if it doesn't have anything medical in it, and you're in medicine, then uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Listen to podcasts, read books, follow Nurse Keith's advice, and I'm telling you, welcome to the great world of nursing.
0: Mm, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you. And now for a final piece of inspiration before we say goodbye, there is a beautiful closing. on. It's either page 147 or 148 of your book. Could you read us what you would most like to us to
1: come away with? Absolutely. Thank, thanks, Ms. Keith. All right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, This is page 148 at the end of the book, and this was my sign-off, and I'm just going to read it to you now. There are billions and billions of people on this beautiful blue planet, and we're all spinning through space together for the entire term of our short lives. These facts should not depress you or make you feel small. These facts should inspire and empower you to look around the world and see the many ways you can make a positive impact with your existence. If there is a greater purpose to life, it must be to serve one another passionately and alleviate suffering. We must also attempt to live as intelligently, courageously, and joyfully as possible. Semper Fi, Blue Skies, Viacin Dios. Oh, and one more thing, Keith. no matter what you do, do not walk into a tailroader.
0: Beautiful. I love that, Rob. You are amazing. I'm so glad you reached out to me. Your book is The Flight Nurse Bible, A Field Guide to Awesomeness by Robert P. Harris, RNBSN, CFRN, CTRN, TCRN, CEN, CPN, CNPT, CCRN. So I just had to do that one more time because it's so fun. So, you know, thank you so much, Rob. This has been such a pleasure and when you write the follow-up book or a second edition we'll have you back
1: well that would be my honor thank you so much this has been a real blast
0: well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to episode 245 of the Nurse Keith Show. And those show notes with the 12 commandments and much other information is at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 245. And I want you to head over to nursekeith.com to the resources section, the drop down menu. You will find jobs from Reload, jobs from Zip Recruiter lots of other resources for you to check out they will help you take your life and career to the next level the nurse keith show is edited and produced by tim hollowell and his awesome team at the podcastinggroup.com and mark cappy Speeson is our capable and consistent social media ringmaster be well dig deep seek joy keep in touch and don't walk into a rotor of a helicopter this is nurse keith saying adios till next time from beautiful santa fe new mexico and robert p harris bidding you adios from
1: adios from the wonderful nurse keith show i'm talking to you from san diego california come on down and hang out it's beautiful
0: all right we will catch you all thanks for being here on the flip
1: side adios